Good morning, friends. Um, today I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, if you've been with us, then you know that we have been in the middle of a series called Mark for Joy, uh, a series where we have uh, gone through the uh, book of Philippians over the last seven weeks or so we've been doing that. Uh, but today, uh, I'm actually going to pause that series. We will get back to that series uh, next week. Uh, and what I want to do today, I, I felt compelled to address the things that are uh, happening right now in our nation. Uh, and to help orient us around our time today, uh, I want to read for you a passage from Amos 5. Uh, and before I read this passage, just a little bit of background so that you can, you can have in context what's happening. Uh, during the time that Amos wrote um, this, this passage, uh, it was a time of great economic prosperity in Israel. Uh, and yet in their prosperity, they had allowed and perpetuated injustice as the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Uh, and so I just want you to keep that in mind, that the whole book of Amos is really geared toward God's call to his people to, to live justly. And in verses 14 and 15, this is what it says. It says, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this is a call to God's people to be aware of the evil and injustice around them and to pursue equity and justice, and to ask God's mercy on them for their injustice. Now with that in mind, I want to wrestle with what it means to seek good, to hate evil, and to maintain justice. And as I said, I want to address what is happening in our nation right now, and in particular, what has erupted this week. Uh, and I want to address essentially two groups of people today. Uh, the first group of people that I want to speak to uh, are those <clears throat> who might not really know what I'm talking about. Or uh, maybe you have a sense of what I'm talking about, but you maybe really haven't spent too much time thinking about it. It really hasn't impacted you uh, all that much. Uh, I hope today brings some realizations for you. Uh, and I would also encourage this, that if uh, you begin to feel uncomfortable, I really want to encourage you to sit in the discomfort. Uh, it can be tempting to look away, but I hope that we see that it's incredibly God-honoring to sit in that discomfort and to confront what is to come. Now, the second group of people that I want to talk to today uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, in fact, it's all that you've thought about. Uh, you can't sleep. Uh, you can't calm down. You can't rest. Now, that wound that cuts deep in your soul, that wound that often heals just enough for you to be able to function, has now been ripped wide open once again. And for you, I hope that today is a bomb on that wound. 
And so for clarity, what am I talking about? Well, of course, I am talking about the continued injustices and inequities and prejudices that remain pervasive in our nation. I am talking about the recent lynching of George Floyd, the murder of Breonna Taylor, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. I am talking about the inequitable policing tactics in our own city. I am talking about the racism of a woman in Central Park who, uh, as a result of that racism, very well could have gotten a man killed. I'm talking about communities hitting a boiling point right now in cities across the nation and even in our own. A boiling point that's left them fed up without feeling like they are without recourse and grasping for whatever is necessary to ensure that the world sees the depravities of the situation, all of which in some places has spilled over into upheaval, into mayhem. A city on fire, unfortunately, gets attention. The pervasiveness of racism in our society continues to be a bane on our existence as a nation. And the American church's continued complicity over the years continues to undermine the credibility of our gospel message. And so today I feel compelled to lay plain why we are here and what we can do about this current situation and season. Now it's important, I think, for me to just start here by saying what I mean when I say racism. It's important to define it. Uh, the reason being is because racism and intolerance and uh, prejudice, uh, these are words that we are trained to reject. Uh, we know that we are not allowed to have uh, racist thoughts or racist ideas or racially motivated prejudices. Uh, we know that that will not go well for us if we are deemed to be those things. And so as a result, no one actually claims to be a racist. Right? No politician calls their policies racist. No one admits to holding prejudicial uh, attitudes. In fact, if racism is only the explicit hostility toward another race, then there are so few racists that exist, it would actually be really difficult to find any, if at all. And this uh, is the very basis of several extremely uh, insightful sociological studies that have been done over the years. Uh, I think one in particular that's been incredibly um, uh, informative and shaping for me was conducted by a Duke sociologist, Professor Eduardo Benilla Silva, uh, called Racism Without Racists. Uh, it's an exhaustive study on how the culture of colorblindness has essentially become the new racism, and uh, there's so much that could be said about what that means. Uh, but the reason why that is the case is because of what sociologists Michael uh, Emerson and Christian Smith know in their groundbreaking book, Divided by Faith. Uh, they note that we live in a racialized society. And they prefer using the term racialized society instead of racism uh, for this reason. I want to read to you a bit of an extended quote uh, from their book. So how do we capture the meaning of race in America? In this book, we use the term 
racialized society. Not only, we argue, is it more useful, a more useful term than prejudice or racism, but it provides a framework by which to guide our inquiry. In the post-civil rights United States, the racialized society is one in which intermarriage rates are low, residential separation and socioeconomic inequality are the norm, our definitions of personal identity and our choices of intimate associations reveal radical distinctiveness, and where we are never unaware of the race of a person with whom we interact. In short, and this is its unchanging essence, a racialized society is a society wherein race matters profoundly for differences in the life experiences, life opportunities, and social relationships. A racialized society can also be said to be a society that allocates differential economic, political, and social, even psychological rewards to groups along racial lines, lines that are socially constructed. And that, my friends, is a racialized society. And that, off, that really should resonate with our experience of our society, a society that is fundamentally rooted in the idolatry of race, a society marked by lines that, socially and, uh, that are socially and idolatrously constructed, a racialized society that does not rightly see it as fundamentally idolatrous will never be able to fully deal with the consequences of that idolatry. And make no mistake, race, as we have conceived it, is fundamentally idolatrous. The way that we have conceived race is an attempt to dethrone God as creator in order to subjugate others. It's why our categories exist. I mean, literally, the category of black and white are evil at their core. I mean, whiteness in particular is evil at its core. Now, please hear me. Being white is not evil. That is not what I mean. However, in our nation, we created the category of white in order to ensure that those that were deemed white stayed on top and everyone else was subjugated. White and black are not categories that God created. See, God created beautiful ethnicities, and he has created us with different shades and different colors, different hair, uh, different eye shapes. All of these things are beautiful. Yet whiteness and blackness strip people of what God intended. And that is, it is for that reason that, is, that it is idolatry. The stripping existed only to ensure that those deemed black could easily be subjugated. That's it. Plus, just to put a finer point on this, why is it that we call those who are African-American, or those who are black, African-American, but no white Americans ever take the title European-American? I mean, why is it that African-Americans right now in our congregation might very well have had family in this country for 300 plus years, and yet we call them African-American. However, a white congregant whose parents immigrated from Germany one generation ago, they're not called European-American. They're just called white. 
Why is that? Because we still live in a racialized society that still has deep roots in a history of injustice and violence against African Americans. We still live in a society that has indoctrinated us into believing that those are valid categories for continuing to see people. And they've never been valid. And back to what Silva had mentioned, that this is why colorblindness has become a new form of racism. We created a racialized society that uh, uh, prioritizes some and degrades others, and colorblindness attempts to just ignore all the damage that was done and continues to be done. Colorblindness is a way to just look away. And I realize, having said all of that, uh, that this might land hard for some. Uh, others, I realize, might just flat out disagree with me. But I would encourage you to show me the lie. What have I said that is not true? You know, we might not hold explicit hostilities toward those of a different race or ethnicity, but we live in a racialized society marked by the historically racist ideas of our past. They continue to shape us today, and it is not sufficient for us to just not have racist ideas or to not be a racist, we must be willing to be anti-racist, which means, here's the distinction, which means we actively seek ways to resist the pervasiveness of this racialized society. And the fact that disparities still exist along racial lines proves that we have not moved past the consequences nor moved past the prejudices that exist. We've just figured out new ways to inoculate ourselves to the continued disease of a racialized society. That is why, after nearly 250 years of slavery, 100 years of domestic terrorism with Jim Crow and segregation, Right? All the realities of 20th century redlining and New Deal exclusion and the now mass incarceration uh, that, uh, as a re that exists as a result of inequitable laws and policing tactics and the continued disparities that exist in education and jobs and healthcare. The racialized society is why all that continues to persist and why now we continue to have George Floyd's and Breonna Taylor's and Ahmaud Arbery's. And I realize some might say, well, you know, things are better than they used to be. And I would say, sure. Sure. Over the course of our history, things racially in some ways have certainly gotten better. In some ways, that's true. But I'll tell you what, that is meaningless to those who still suffer under the weight of our inability as a nation to create a truly just and equitable society. Uh, the scenes in uh, Minneapolis right now uh, remind me so much of the 92 LA riots. Uh, that The pain so deep that it leads to that kind of upheaval and unrest. Uh, and for those of us who have never had to suffer that deeply as a community. Uh, it can be hard. Uh, it, it can be difficult for us to conceptualize the pain uh, that leads to 
those kinds of outbursts. Uh, and if it is hard for you to conceptualize that depth of pain, uh, a suggestion for you. Uh, there's currently a documentary on Netflix called Let It Fall. Uh, it's about the 92 riots. Uh, and they actually do a really good job of portraying the pain of those who have been uh, systematically unheard and ignored. Uh, and so if you are struggling to conceptualize that kind of pain that leads to this kind of explosion, I highly recommend uh, that, that uh, documentary in particular. But here's what's so striking to me when I think about those riots. Thinking about that that happened nearly 30 years ago. And it is striking to me how so much still feels the same. We have not progressed that much in nearly 30 years. Now, why am, I, why am I bringing all of this up? Why am I using a Sunday morning to address such things? Well, for the reason I gave earlier. I want to talk to two groups of people today. First, uh, for those who might not be thinking much about this, like I said, it really hasn't impacted you much. You haven't thought much about it. Or maybe you've been watching it as kind of an outsider looking into a situation that you don't really fully understand. I want you to hear me. Please know that an entire community has had their souls just bleeding out right now. They are angry. They are tired. They are frustrated. They are expecting once again, a complete miscarriage of justice. And as a result, they are feeling hopeless. We cannot take the posture of just watching from the outside. We cannot keep at a comfortable distance from these issues. And so if you are not deeply disturbed, and as a result, genuinely wanting to understand more deeply what is happening, and why it's happening. And what then must be done to rectify the continued consequences of living in a racialized society? Hear me, if that's you, please hear me, these words again from Amos 5. God's call for us to seek good, to hate evil, and to maintain justice. That is a call to name what is good, to name what is evil, and to work toward justice, which is the destruction of that evil. And I would just encourage you to say with this, if you want to learn more, please talk to me. I would love to make sure that the right resources get into your hands. But the other group of people that I want to talk to today uh, are those who are hurting, those who have those wounds that have been ripped open again, those who are tired, you're frustrated, you're angry. I want you to know we see you, we love you, and to the best of our ability, we stand in solidarity with you. And I want you to also hear the words of Amos 5. For God calls us to seek good and hate evil and maintain justice because he loves what is good. He hates what is evil, and he is the God of justice. He identifies with and defends those who suffer under the weight 
of oppression. He always has, he always will. And in the end, Jesus, our righteous king, he gets the final word, the final say over injustice. He rules and reigns even right now. And so what can we do? There are things that we can be doing, and I want to put them in front of you. There are probably many things that could be added to this list, but there are three things that I think that all of us can be doing right now. First, I think we need to remind ourselves of the God that we have come together to worship today. We remind ourselves that we serve a God of justice. We remind ourselves that we serve a God who time and time again identifies with the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and the broken. He is a God who hates injustice. Deuteronomy 25, James 2, remind us that God despises partiality and cheating of others. Proverbs 6 reminds us that God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 17 reminds us that God hates those who condemn the just, those who justify the wicked. Matthew 25 reminds us that God condemns those who act unjustly, but welcomes those who act justly. And that 1 Peter 3 reminds us that God hates injustice so much, and he is so committed to ensuring injustice is defeated that he has justly punished his perfectly righteous son in order that his wrath might not be poured out on the unjust. And so first, let us all be reminded and not forget the anger of God against injustice. This is the God that we worship. And the second thing that I think we need to consider is we need to consider repentance. We must ask the Spirit of God to make plain to us where we might be guilty of sin in this area. We have to. In what ways have I been complicit or apathetic to the plight of those who are suffering under injustices? In what ways have I not honored God in the ways that I have thought, the ways that I have acted? Even at times when I haven't even realized it, you know, Psalm 23 uh, is a beautiful prayer of uh, confession and repentance. Of course, it's a famous psalm, but let me read this one portion to you, verses 23 uh, and 24. It says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now this prayer, uh, it could be prayed about any number of things, uh, any one of our wayward actions, but may this be a prayer for us in regards to the racism that has impacted this racialized society. And what I think is so clarifying about this prayer in particular is that the psalmist is acknowledging that he needs the Spirit of God to show him his sin he realizes that there are ways uh, that he has not honored God, that he might not even be aware of, things that are inside of him that only the Spirit of God can make known and plain to him. May that be our kind of prayer as well. God, make these things plain to me. And the last thing I want to say 
the last thing that we can do is that we can lament. Church, I hope at this point we have learned well the posture of lament. Lament, it is naming suffering before God. And it's important to note that lament demands honesty. And sometimes that honesty is difficult to name. I mean, we lament the current unrest in uh, Minneapolis and now in other cities in our own city. It's awful what is happening. But we must lament, lament the reasons that people have been driven to such despair and anger. I mean, in just recent weeks, we lament that our racialized society led to the murder of Ahmad Arbery because two white men felt they had the right to detain him. We lament a racialized society where an unarmed black woman is murdered in her home after an unjust raid and 26 blind shots were sent into her room. We lament that our racialized society has created an environment where an image bearer of God is thought so little of by the one who is called to protect him that he was callous, that he is callously uh, suffers and dies with a knee shoved in his neck for almost nine minutes. We lament that time after time after time after time, the perpetuators of that kind of injustice are not served justice because our laws and our structures deem such killings justified. Please, let's remember Psalm 17, that God hates those who justify that which is wicked. And we lament the fact that there are countless cases like this that we don't even know about. These are just the ones that happened to get videotaped and distributed. We must lament honestly. And the last thing that I will say about lament you know, in our lament series, we said that we do not cry out into the darkness and expect for that to be lament. Rather, true lament is crying out to the God of justice, trusting that he hears, trusting that he is sovereign and he is powerful to intervene. I mean, we cry out to him because we know he hears and because he makes promises to us. We cry out to him because he is the God in Revelation 19 that comes with eyes blazing like fire. Christ, our warrior king, will return to crush injustice. We cry out to him because in Revelation 20, we see that, that victorious king come to defeat the powers of sin and death. We cry out to him because he is the one in Revelation 21 who promises that he will wipe every tear from their eyes, that there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is why we lament before him, because he makes such promises to us. And won't he do it? Let's pray. Father, our hearts ache. Another image bearer from the black community has been murdered. And again, the whole world has watched. We again cry out to you, not just for justice, but for this brutality to end. How long, O oh Lord? When Cain committed the first murder, you said to him, the voice of your brothers 
blood is crying to me from the ground. You alone are the hearer of cries of blood. You alone are the seer of each life taken. You alone are the feeler of each last breath. Every life matters to you because you alone are the craftsman of each beating heart. So, Father, we cry out to you, not just for justice, but for this brutality to end. How long, O Lord? You alone are the reader of hearts. So we pray for those who are angry. Keep them from falling into bitterness or sin and help them keep their anger righteous, we pray. We pray for those who are apathetic or deny the reality of these situations. Renew their minds. Soften their stony hearts. Help them learn to mourn with those who mourn. We pray for those who are overwhelmed with grief. Draw them close to your side and comfort their hurting hearts. We pray for the family and friends of those who have been killed. Give them grace to cling to you through this personal, unimaginable tragedy. We pray for those who have committed these murders. We ask that you lead them to personal conviction. We pray you would direct them to genuine contrition. We pray you bring them to repentance. And we pray ultimately for a path of restorative justice for them. And we pray for our own hearts, the depths of which we cannot even know. Yet you know us full well. We pray that you would keep the eyes of our hearts fixed on you. Like Job, plant our feet in the soil of biblical lament by keeping us lamenting to you, not to other gods. Give us the strength and ability to do what you require of us. Give us hearts that love mercy, hands, and minds that do justice, and spirits that walk humbly with you. So, Father, creator of humanity and author of justice, we cry out to you for this brutality to end. How long, O oh Lord? <laughs>